Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Q4 2021 Gildan Activewear Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's opening remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star then 1 on your touchstone telephone. If anyone should require assistance during the conference, please press star then 0 to reach an operator. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would like to hand the call over to Sophie Argerio, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Earlier this morning, we issued a press release announcing our earnings results for the fourth quarter and full year of 2021. The company's management, discussion and analysis, and consolidated financial statements are expected to be filed with the Canadian Securities and Regulatory Authorities and the U.S. Securities Commission tomorrow, the 24th of February, and will be available on our website. Joining me on the call this morning are Glenn Shimandi, President and Chief Executive Officer of Gildan, and Rod Harris, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial and Administrative Officer. In a moment, Rod will take you through the results for the quarter, and a Q&A session will follow afterwards. I would like to remind you that certain statements included in this conference call may constitute forward-looking statement within the meaning of the U.S. Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Such forward-looking statements involve unknown and known risks, uncertainties, and other factors which could cause actual results to differ materially from future results expressed or implied by such forward-looking statements. We refer you to the company's filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and Canadian Securities Regulatory Authorities that may affect the company's future results. And now, I will turn, turn it over to you, Rod. Thank you, Sophie. Good morning, and thanks for joining us today. This time last year, when we reported our fourth quarter results, we expressed confidence that we were entering 2021 as a fundamentally stronger company. We now believe our results and accomplishments for this year bear strong, strong evidence of that. We finished the year with record top and bottom line performance in the fourth quarter, leading to record sales, earnings, and free cash flow for the full year. Simply put, thanks to the strong efforts, expertise, and focus of our whole team, we navigated through a still challenging environment in 2021 to deliver on the core objective of our back-to-basic strategy, which was to remove complexity from our business so we can better leverage our world-class, vertically integrated manufacturing system to better support our customers. By delivering on this objective, we were able to capitalize on improving demand during 2021 at margin levels much stronger than pre-pandemic levels. We also delivered on our capital deployment priorities, and as you saw from today's earnings announcement, we are now moving forward with the Gildan Sustainable Growth Strategy, with well-defined initiatives to enable us to deliver strong performance over the next three years, which I will cover after I take you through the details of the quarter. So let's get started. During the fourth quarter, we generated record net sales of $784 million, up 14% from last year, with activewear sales of $627 million, up 17%, and hosiery and underwear sales of $157 million, up 
The overall sales increase was primarily due to higher sales volumes and net selling prices in activewear, partly offset by product mix due to the timing of police sales compared to last year. Higher activewear sales volumes were driven primarily by higher year-over-year point of sales and, to a lesser extent, by the impact of some distributor restocking in a North American printables channel, although I would emphasize that inventory levels in the channel continue to remain well below 2019 pre-pandemic levels. If we look at sales relative to pre-pandemic levels, total net sales were up 19% above the fourth quarter in 2019 driven by higher unit sales volumes, net selling prices, and stronger mix in activewear, partly offset by lower stock sales. Volume growth in activewear reflected the continuing positive trend of higher POS in the North American imprintables channel, higher sales of activewear through retail channels, combined with the positive impact of the non-recurrence of distributor inventory destocking that occurred in the fourth quarter of 2019. Where we continue to see a lag in demand versus pre-pandemic levels, was in international sales, given the impact of the Omicron variant and lockdowns in various regions. Moving on to our gross margin, where performance remains strong, we generated gross margin of 29.2% in the quarter, up 670 basis points. On an adjusted basis, gross margin of 30.6% was up 480 basis points compared to last year. The strong improvement over 2020 was driven by higher net selling prices, and manufacturing efficiencies stemming from our back-to-basics initiatives. The positive impact of these factors more than offset inflationary pressure on raw materials and other manufacturing costs, and the mixed impact from the timing of flea sales compared to the prior year. Relative to 2019, we saw a strong improvement in adjusted gross margin in the quarter, up 500 basis points. The increase was due to higher net selling prices, favorable product mix, and back-to-basics efficiencies, which more than offset higher raw material and manufacturing costs. Fourth quarter SG&A expenses came in at 80 million, 9 million above the fourth quarter last year, due mainly to higher volume driven distribution expenses and higher variable compensation. As a percentage of sales, SG&A expenses were 10.3%, which was slightly better than last year. Compared to the fourth quarter of 2019, SG&A expenses as a percentage of sales improved by 130 basis points. Strong sales and gross margin performance, together with our continued focus on SG&A, translated into operating income in the quarter of 177 million, or 22.6% of sales, a significant increase from 79 million, or 11.4% of sales last year. The increase in operating margin included the net benefit of a 32 million impairment reversal related to our hosiery cash generating unit, for which we had recorded an impairment charge last year, and which now has been reversed to the full extent possible, given the significantly improved economic environment and outlook for this category. On an adjusted basis, which excludes this benefit, operating income of 160 million was up 55 million over last year, and adjusted operating margin of 20.4% in the quarter was up 510 basis points from 15.3% in 2020. Consequently, we generated record net earnings of 174 million and EPS of 89 cents per diluted share in the quarter, up from net earnings of 67 million and 34 cents in 2020. Adjusted net earnings and adjusted EPS in the quarter totaled 149 million and 76 cents, 
up from $90 million and $0.45 cents last year. With another record quarter this year, we also set a new full-year record with EPS of $3.07 per diluted share and adjusted EPS of $2.72 per share, up 64% over 2019. Moving on to free cash flow, the $116 million we generated in the fourth quarter brought our full-year free cash flow to $594 million, also a record level and up from $358 million last year. The increase reflected strong earnings, improved working capital management, and the timing of insurance collections related to the 2020 hurricanes, partly offset by higher capital expenditures. At year-end, our net debt position stood at $530 million, down from $577 million at the end of 2020, and our leverage ratio was 0.7 times adjusted EBITDA, below our target range of 1 to 2 times. During 2021, we were pleased to be able to reinstate dividend payments and share repurchases, and in aggregate, we returned more than $335 million of capital to shareholders during the year. This morning, we were also pleased to announce a 10% increase in our quarterly dividend. And with our current share repurchase program now almost complete, our debt leveraged below our target range, and strong confidence in our ability to generate free cash flow, Today, we also announced that we are increasing our share repurchase plan from 5% to 10% of our float. So overall, we accomplished a great deal in 2021. But more importantly, as we look back to the launch of our back-to-basic strategy, we delivered what we envisioned from this plan. We simplified and focused our business, allowing us to deliver adjusted operating margin expansion of close to 500 basis points. And our RONA, which is return on net assets, improved by more than 800 basis points during the 2018 to 21 period. It also put us in a position to continue to expand our capacity in Central America and the Caribbean and resume our expansion plans in Bangladesh, where we are now rapidly moving forward with the construction of the first of two large-scale textile and sewing facilities. In addition, our clear focus allowed us to push forward with reinforcing our vertically integrated supply chain model through broadening our existing yarn capabilities with the acquisition of Frontier Yarns in December. We are very pleased with this acquisition, which is now allowing us to further internalize yarn production and support our textile expansion plans in Central America and the Caribbean. So today, thanks to Back to Basics, we stand as a less complex, more focused, and competitively advantaged organization, stronger than we have ever been, and well-positioned for sustainable growth. This leads me to the last area I'd like to cover in our opening remarks. During the fourth quarter, we completed a comprehensive strategic planning process to define the underlying initiatives that will support our next phase of growth under what we call the Gildan Sustainable Growth Strategy. While back to basics will always remain at our core, under the Gildan Sustainable Growth Strategy, our, our efforts now turn to building on our strong foundation to drive organic top and bottom line growth through three key pillars, capacity expansion, innovation, and ESG. Under this revised strategy, we believe that by leveraging our competitive advantage as a low-cost, vertically integrated manufacturer and executing on projected capacity expansion plans, delivering superior quality, value-driven, and innovative products to our customers, and through our leading ESG practices, we can drive strong organic revenue growth, profitability, and effective asset utilization to deliver compelling shareholder value creation. 
To this end, we announced in our press release today that under the Gildan Sustainable Growth Strategy, our outlook over the next three years, based on everything we are seeing today and assuming a continued global recovery, reflects net sales growth at a compound annual growth rate in the 7 to 10% range, while maintaining operating margins in the 18 to 20% range. Further, to support our long-term growth and vertical integration, we are expecting investments in capital expenditures as a percentage of sales to be in the range of 6 to 8% over this period. Finally, at the same time as we are investing in our business, we are also planning to continue to return capital to shareholders through dividend growth and through continued share repurchases in line with our one to two times leverage framework and valuation considerations. So overall, a complete plan to grow our business and to deliver strong shareholder value and ESG performance, which we plan to provide more detail on at our virtual investor day now scheduled for March 29th. So let me close here with how I started my remarks. Last year, when we reported our year-end results, we expressed our confidence that we were entering the new year as a fundamentally stronger company. Today, we reiterate that sentiment with even greater conviction. And with that, I will now turn it back over to you, Sophie. Thank you, Rod. Before moving to the Q&A session, I ask that you limit the number of questions to two. And of course, we will circle back for a second round of questions if time permits. I'll now turn the call over back to the operator to start the question and answer session. Michelle, go ahead. As a reminder, to ask a question, please press star then one. If your question has been answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, Press the pound key. Our first question comes from Paul LeJuice with City. Your line is open. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, curious on the 7 to 10% sales CAGR over the next three years, how much of that do you, do you think will be sort of consistent growth in that range uh, versus maybe more lumpy based on when additional capacity comes in? And also, uh, we'd love to know how much uh, of that 7 to 10 you think of as being unit increases versus uh, pricing. And then second, if you could just talk about the pricing environment in activewear just generally and how you look at your price gaps versus the competition rest of the market right now. Thanks. Okay, Paul, thanks for the, uh, for the question. So if you look at the, the CAGR, the, the 7 to 10% over the next – Three years. As we as we look year on year, I think we see good growth. Right as we go through uh, through each of the years, we have capacity coming on in Central America, effectively, which will support uh, this year and next year. We have the capacity coming on in uh, in Bangladesh, which we're working to bring online, uh, basically at the end of this year, beginning of next year, um, which will support 24. So we have a good cadence of capacity rolling out to support, I would say, good growth as we move through the years. Um, this year, we will see, I would say, strong growth overall because we will have go uh, volume growth, and to a certain extent, we have a bit of price coming through. But I would say, you know, our whole plan is to expand our, our, our capacity and effectively be able to use that in the marketplace in a market where we do see strong demand for our products uh, over the next number of years. If you do look at the breakdown between unit volume and price, Really, it's volume that's driving the plan over the three years. That's what we're really focused on. And I think you know that effectively, competitively, we think that if you look at the way we run our business model, we really are focused on, on volume. We're really focused on share uh, versus price. 
And if you look at uh, overall, our activewear business is very, very strong over this period. We're seeing across all of the different areas that we sell in the marketplace, in the, if you look at the imprintable side, you look in the retail side, really in all areas, uh, activewear growth is very, very strong through the forecast period. And uh, regarding the uh, pricing in the market, um, two things I think are relatively important. Uh, one, um, we did not raise price to cover the total inflation because we're leveraging our low-cost manufacturing, so which has been the backbone to our success is making sure that we're leveraging our, our, our cost structure. So the price that we did take was really um, a function of reducing the amount of promotional spending that we do. So we have a, quite a lot of typically promotional spending in, 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 um, incorporated in our pricing strategy. So by reducing that, that's what really uh, is, is allowing us to get more price offsets. We did take some some price increases, but the bulk of all the price we're taking in, in 2022 was by reducing promotional spending. Um, you know, we continue to widen the gap versus us versus the competition. I think there's a big, uh, bigger gap um, where our products are being sold today. That's why we're so close in our unit volume and leveraging our low-cost manufacturing. And the bulk of our, you know, our core T-shirts are just north of two dollars still, even after all the inflation. So when you look at where we're competitively priced, we think that. Um, we're poised to uh, continue to take significant market share, and that's why we're so bullish in the next three years. Great. Thank you. Good luck, guys. Thank you. Hey, Paul. Our next question comes from Vishal Sridhar with National Bank. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, wondering if you could provide us with uh, insights on trends uh, quarter to date uh, and maybe the impact of uh, Omicron and uh, how that's um, led into the restocking uh, situation for the dealers. Okay, well, let me just first of all clarify the restocking because that's a little bit of a misnomer because, uh, you know, we did have a little bit of restocking, but the truth is that none of that inventory is actually in our distributors' warehouses because when we look at the inventory in the channel, it's including, you know, once we bill it, it's in the channel as far as we're concerned. And today, the lead times to get product into the channel um, has taken a lot longer because of, you know, freight disruption and labor restraints in our customers. So our actual inventory in the four walls of our distributors is probably lower on a year-to-year -year basis, but the actual channel has a little bit more inventory uh, um, supporting, um, you know, coming to them, basically, So because product is selling relatively quick. And POS is very strong. I mean, so, you know, those two combinations, basically, um, you know, our distributors are selling as fast as they receive the product. Okay. And uh, quarter, quarter to date trends and the impact of Omicron, maybe? Uh, um, the quarter gender. to date trends, yeah, the, the trends are, look, are, are remaining pretty strong. Um, you know, we did have Omicron, um, you know, it's probably made somewhat of a little effect. affected more, to be honest with you, um, our, our manufacturing, uh, you know, we have a, you know, a lot of people out um, both in the U.S. and Central America, but I think that's behind us right now. It was probably about a month in January, just after Christmas, that there was somewhat a wave. But um, I would say in where we stand today, um, it's pretty much uh, behind us, except for international, which is still lagging uh, North America. Okay. And uh, in the past, uh, um, there was uh, thoughts uh, on this online market and, and how this if this online online markets, uh, which grew substantially through, during COVID, if that didn't fade away substantially, it may suggest market size expansion. Just wondering if you can give us some updates 
on the online market and what you're seeing uh, there. Well, look, what we said in our last call is that we believe that the market has grown substantially since uh, 2019. Um, you know, we continue to believe that, and, you know, there's, um, you know, our POS is very strong. I mean, and, you know, so that, that whole online aspect of the market continues to excel, and really what we're starting to see now is the benefit of, you know, social gatherings and our basic product uh, coming back to the market. So, you know, as we see the POS, even on our basics, starting to, you know, really grow, uh, the combination of these two things has really put us in a good position to uh, significantly increase our POS as we move into 2022 and 2024. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Petrie with CIBC. Your line is open. <clears throat> yeah, good morning. Uh, actually, uh, Glenn, I just want to follow up on your comment with regards to promotions and pricing um, uh, for this year and, and going forward. Uh, you know, we've seen some industries that are sort of exiting the pandemic with higher gross margins as a result of sort of strong demand and and structural or semi-permanent shifts away from promotional spending. I'm just curious if you think that's something that uh, that will sort of structurally remain in the industry for the foreseeable future or, or in your business, maybe not the industry, but, but your business. Well, look, as long as business remains robust, obviously, you know, you're going to yield the best return you can for your shareholders, which is what we're doing. Um, um, you know, a lot of the um, promotional, um, the lack of promotional spending is really offsetting the higher cost of raw materials. So, you know, and that's how we set our pricing. So we wouldn't have to really adjust our pricing in the future. So we have a, a net good price uh, list. And then, you know, it was based on, um, you know, what we thought would be a certain price of cotton. And then as cotton moves up, basically we reduce the amount of promotional spending. And then if cotton was to move down again, uh, we would just increase the amount of promotional spending if needed. Now, that's also a function of depending on how strong demand is in the market um, or do we get margin expansion. But I think we're in a very good position um, to adapt to, you know, raw material because that's really the only thing that fluctuates in our cost of goods sold. In fact, you know, our manufacturing costs are going down this year. I mean, we're leveraging our back-to-basics. We're producing more volume in the four walls. Um, um, all the things that we've done to simplify our business is actually improving our cost structure, which is offsetting uh, um, a lot of the labor uh, cost uh, inflationary areas. But um, you know, raw material is the one that we really don't control, and you can see what raw material is selling at. So I think we're in a good position. So if raw material does come down, you know, we'll just promote a little bit more. And if it's you know, where it is now, we're very happy with our, our pricing strategy. Okay, thanks. And, and just to follow up, I guess, on that, do you think this shift in approach with regards to sort of navigating the volatility or ups and downs in cotton pricing uh, potentially uh, reduces the risk of, you know, sort of uh, revaluations um, and volatility in distributor ordering patterns as, as cotton moves up and down? Correct. I mean, that's, that's, that's why when we set our pricing, we set it in a, in a, in a, at a range where we have that flexibility, really. So the answer is that uh, you know we don't foresee uh, any devaluations if cotton you know comes back down to normalized levels. And just to add to that, uh, Mark, I would say as we've given our you know our outlook and we've reflected what we're thinking, you know that does reflect obviously that over three years there could be a change ultimately in uh, in underlying commodity prices. But we've reflected that overall in our in our view, uh, given the way we're running the business and uh, the things that uh, Glenn said. Understood. And I just want to sneak in one more. Um, uh, just regarding the EBIT 
margin range of 18 to 20%. What sort of pushes you up or down in that range in any given period? Is it, is it sort of sales leverage over time and we think that margin can increase over the three-year period or, or do you expect it to be pretty stable and it's more just about short-term factors like you know, mix or raw material costs that could affect you in any given year? I would say it's mix and raw material costs that could affect this over any year. I mean, and the timing of those those events, I would say. Yeah, it's it's, it's things that will move, you know, within the quarters uh, effectively. I mean, you know, a good example of that is if you look at uh, at the comp that uh, we have this quarter, for example, coming into Q1 versus last year, we had a, a, a sort of big benefit from a cotton um, assistance payment that we received, $18 million. That's 250 basis points. So, you know, you have things moving through your, your numbers as you go uh, quarter to quarter, Mark. But I think given the, the model that we're, we're running, you know, we've been very clear about our ability to effectively run in this range. And so I, I would say we feel good about delivering on that over the three, consistently over the three-year period. Understood. Appreciate it and all the best. Our next question comes from Luke Hannon with Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good morning, Glenn. I just I had one for you under the the Back to Basics program. You guys have made a lot of progress under that, and clearly it's being reflected in your financial results now. But how do you ensure that you avoid becoming overly complex uh, from a SKU perspective going forward, while also making sure that you're innovative enough to meet your your customers' needs? Well, that's that's uh, the secret sauce that uh, I think is. Uh, you know, we've, we've rationalized our brand, so we have you know, three brands going forward, um, which we think we can cover the market with, um, and that's down from five. Um, so that's a good example of uh, skew rationalization and focus, right? So, um, and that, you know, it allows us to run with less working capital to support, you know, better service and everything else to go with it. So I think we have it dialed in, and, um, you know, when you have less skews, you can provide better quality. And what's, what our you know, key to success has been is always to, improve our quality, and which we're doing right now. We have a lot of new innovation uh, that's happening right now to, um, you know, to improve our products, the printability of them, uh, and softness, I mean, whatever it would take. So, you know, we're focused, and that's the key about Back to Basics. So you're focused on what you have to do to make it the best um, and not to be all over the place. So we're really um, continuing to, I think, uh, leverage our strategy, and uh, we'll, we're going to stay tight on what we do and, and we're pretty comfortable in uh, in our unit growth uh, projections and uh, our outlook over the next three years. Okay, thanks. And, and for my follow-up, we we did see inventory tick up both sequentially uh, and year over year. And I'm curious to know how much of that was, was higher volumes versus higher costs, and then what are your expectations near term as far as building inventory? I know the distributors are, are chasing inventory right now, so I'm just curious to know what's gonna, what that's going to look like <clears throat> in terms of your own books. Yeah, if you look at inventory, uh, on it, I mean, there was a bit of a build, and you would expect that, right? If you look at uh, what's going on from a from a cost perspective overall, I mean, a bit of uh, unit volume, but we're running tight on inventory uh, as we, uh, you know, as we run through the the various quarters, um, as we get through this year, as we bring on capacity, as we effectively um, bring on yarn production, really, as it comes up. We'll have a, a, the opportunity to, 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 to build our inventories a bit, but I think as you, know, you can assume, inventories are, are staying tight as we run through uh, 2022 uh, into into 23, and that's 
you know, inventory is everywhere maybe is a way to think about it. Okay. Appreciate the caller. Thank you very much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Our next question comes from Stephen McLoy with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Uh, thank you. Good morning, guys. Um, just wondering if you could give a little bit of color on uh, what you're seeing in the active war segment as it relates to some of the end markets, um, you know, particularly some of the uh, some end markets have sort of lagged, like corporate travel, stuff like that. Wondering if you can give an update on how those markets have trended in, in Q4 and on a year-to-date basis. Well, I think that they're starting to pick up. I mean, um, you know, other than the wave of Omicron uh, that uh, happened in, towards the end of the last year, beginning of the year, I mean, things were somewhat picking up. I mean, there was a lot of uh, trade shows canceled in early January that, you know, would have probably affected business. But overall, we're very bullish on the outlook. I mean, we think this is all behind us right now. And for us, I mean, that's really the key because um, – you know, we've seen a, you know, a large, um, you know, growth in the market and the market's grown and the pieces have grown are still doing very well. And then, you know, once we get back that promotional, um, you know, um, uh, corporate promotionals and tourism and all the other things to go with it and social gatherings, which have come back, but are not back fully, um, I think that's going to be a, a big part of our success. And one of the other areas that we've seen, um, you know, significant growth is our fleece category, which is... Um, you know, lifestyle change of people wearing more sweatshirts, and that's also been a big driver of our overall revenues um, as um, during uh, 2021. So, you know, we've, we're feeling very comfortable with the um, our outlook. Activewear is growing, and it's not just in the um, printwear market. Obviously, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of nearshoring coming back um, for people servicing retailers. Um, you know, our, our our global lifestyle customers are are looking to grow with us. Um, you know, so we're we're poised, I think, in every one of the areas that we really, um, you know, service, except for international, which is probably the only one that's a little bit um, at this point disappointing. But that's, I think, will take care of itself once um, once Omicron uh, sort of uh, abates. So um, everything's running on full cylinders. That's great. Thank you. Um, and then I just wanted to pick up a little bit on the innovation comment. Um, you know, you've, you sort of cited it as a key pillar of, of your sustainable growth strategy. Um, you know, can you just talk a little bit about uh, sort of what that means in terms of uh, the product that you're, that you're, that you're offering, considering, um, you know, you've also embarked, have embarked on a strategy to reduce the SKU count? Right. So you know, our innovation is going to be is that for every product that we sell, we're going to sell the best product in the market by definition. I think that's the way to look at it. So if you look at a competitive product in the market, um, we're going to make sure that our products are better um, quality and features than anything else being sold. So we have different categories. You know, we have our basics, we have our fashion, we've got et cetera. So our fleece. So we're going to continue to, you know, to reinvest in our low-cost manufacturing basically to support what we think is innovation. And also innovation is also involved in our manufacturing processes 
um, which will allow us to continue reducing costs, really, because that's also been a, a key pillar in terms of what we're doing. And that's, you know, new ways, and, and that's also embedded in our ESG strategy in terms of consumption of, you know, obviously, you know, we consume less water, we consume less energy, so that's also part of uh, our innovation strategy. So innovation is not just about product, but it's also about our whole footprint of our manufacturing. Okay, that's uh, that's very helpful. Okay, thank thank you. Look forward to the investor day. Our next question comes from Jay Soul with UBS. Your line is open. Great, thank you so much. Um, I want to ask about the share buybacks. Um, you know, bought back a lot of stock in 4Q. It looks like you bought back quite a bit of stock already here in Q1. Um, raised the amount of shares you can buy back. What's the plan going forward for, you know, the rest of this quarter and this year? Yeah, so Jay, I, we talked about the, the strong uh, free cash flow generation that we've had as a business and the, the strong uh, balance sheet that we have. And we've been very clear that we, uh, when we look at our balance sheet, we do want to run in that one to two times uh, leverage range. So effectively, you know, as we go forward, we'll look at uh, managing our share buyback program in line with that framework, as we have done for, for many, many years now, really, when you, when you look at it. So I think as you uh, as you go forward, we had, we saw the opportunity. Our leverage is low as we uh, as we finish the year at 0.7 times below the low end of that range, and uh, we did make had made uh, good progress in the program that we put in place. We started uh, mid year last year, and so now we're really upping that program. And that's you know what I would say you can consider as our uh, program for for 2022. Uh, again, we uh, we expect to to be, execute on that program given where our balance sheet is and what our free cash flow generation is. And then as we go forward into, into 23 and, and 24, uh, we'll, we'll obviously continue to manage that in line with, uh, with what we see. But given our free cash flow generation, we feel like we're in a very good position to invest in organic growth, which is the, the driver of the business, which is really everything that we do, um, while at the same time, though, uh, keeping a strong eye on, uh, on return of capital. So I think we feel good about all of that. Got it. Okay, thank you. And if I can ask one more, if you just elaborate a little bit about how, you know, port congestion um, is impacting the business. Obviously, you know, the company probably doesn't use a whole lot of um, West Coast ports for, you know, delivering goods. But can you just explain, you know, that, that dynamic and elaborate on, you know, what you're seeing there and if it's been an issue at all? Well, we have a small portion of our business, obviously, that um, but um, that comes from Asia. But we don't necessarily use West Coast West Coast ports. But it's you know freight costs have gone up, and we've seen a you know, quite a bit of inflation uh, from what we do bring in from from Asia. Um, but the bulk of our production is you know is really almost domesticated, which is you know yarn coming from the United States uh, um, goes to Central America and comes back. So we've we've we haven't seen any real um, issues except for, you know, lack of truckers, um, you know, things like that, which is basically um, trucking in the United States is very tight. It's, you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, our lead time to our customers, I mean, although our, our inventory and channel has gone up a bit, but none of that inventory is, in fact, our inventory in our distributors for walls has actually gone down. So, you know, that's, that's a good indication of, um, you know, the types of, uh, uh, you know, freight issues, let's say, for example, that are happening right now. But, and the labor market still remains very tight in the United States, which is also the other factor. So, but overall, I think look at we're we're managing our costs. Um, I think we're in relatively good shape. Uh, we don't rely on 
on um, you know on outside factors. We're vertically integrated, obviously, and uh, we're able to manage our supply chain. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much. Our next question comes from Brian Morrison with TD Securities. Your line is open. Uh, thanks very much. Good morning. Uh, Glenn, you mentioned that the average price of a shirt was now $2. I just want to clarify, where is the price level relative to the pandemic? Are we uh, pre-pandemic? Are we significantly above? Are we in line? Where, is, where, where do we compare? Well, our pricing on our, like our basic pricing, let's say, for example, tees have gone from, they were in the, you know, the high single dollar, let's say they were a dollar, you know, 75 or something, dollar 90, you know, they're just north of $2 today. So, you know, pricing has gone up, but it hasn't gone up significantly, uh, really. I mean, if you look at the end user price, um, you know, that could be absorbed, our price increases could be absorbed quite easily in the market. Um, and fashion t-shirts have moved up a little bit too on our side, but I mean, our competitors have taken a lot um, more price than we have, and our gap relative to us in the competition has grown substantially relative to pre-pandemic levels. So for us, I think we're in a, in a pretty good position leveraging our low-cost manufacturing. Um, we could take more price if we wanted to, I would say, but you know what we're going to do is we're going to continue to focus on unit volume growth um, and uh, bring on... Uh, you know, a wave of capacity, really. And, you know, as we, you know, leverage the acquisition of Frontier and we move into the back half of this year, we're going to have a substantial increase in our volumes, um, really, as we move into uh, 23. So we're, we're pretty excited about our positioning. Okay. And then changing gears, when I look at your, your 7 to 10% growth outlook, has this got phase one of Bangladesh and the equipment transfer to Honduras? Are they both operating at 100%? And do you see any outsized growth from any of your key verticals through this forecast, whether it be private label or fashion basics? Well, the you know the forecast I think we have right now is um, based on the capacity that we communicated to you before, um, which is you know re the Bangladesh one, and then the repurposing of all of the equipment we had in Central America that we said we're bringing on you know approximately a billion dollars in revenue. This is what we stated in the previous call. So. That capacity is being in place. The capacity that's in Central America um, is in place today. And, um, you know, Bangladesh is going to be uh, complete uh, sometime towards the end of this year and will start in the beginning of uh, Q1 next year. So that's all on in place, I think, and, and, and going. And what we've uh, referred to as our CapEx, which is, you know, the 6 to 8%, that CapEx is really going to support the next big incremental growth. So some of that capex will be, you know, bring on obviously Bangladesh, but it will be supporting really the next wave of, of our capacity expansion. At the same time, allowing us to continue driving our vertical integration, not just in um, uh, North America, but as well as in Bangladesh. So, you know, our, our goal right now is to continue. I mean, we, we've got line of sight on the next, you know, three years, and the question is, you know, what happens after that, and that's the bulk of our spend is basically going to be supporting additional capacity expansion and vertical integration. Okay. Well, can I squeeze one more into just in terms of yarn supply uh, since the acquisition of Frontier, you did have some, well, the industry in, in general had some notable labor shortages and uh, was impacting production across the, the, the board. Uh, are you still seeing this since the acquisition of Frontier for the industry? And if so, is it leading to market share gains? Well, I think that the, um, you know, the thing is, is that there's, you know, capacity is tight, right? So there's, um, 
and that's just not in North America. That's globally. I mean, I think that the you know business is tight. But during the pandemic, a lot of facilities closed down, not just in North America, but I think globally. So the global tightness of raw material um, is there for sure. Um, you know, we acquired Frontier. We're just you know phasing out of our sales um, that they had. Um, which will happen sometime by Q2, and then as we enter into Q3 and Q4, we'll have all that volume available to us to continue, you know, wrapping up our capacity basically um, to support incremental revenues in the back half of the year and as we move into um, 23. So, you know, things are still tight for us, but I mean, we are producing more today than we did this time last year, obviously, because our plants are producing better. Um, but, um, you know, we're in a position, I think, that uh, we'll have to see continued growth and optimizing our manufacturing. And, and we're also looking at, you know, continuing increasing our capacity as we speak. So all that combined, we feel very comfortable with uh, the availability of our yarn and I think of our growth uh, as we move into um, the back half of this year into 23. Thanks very much. Our next question comes from Sabat Khan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. All right, great. Thanks and good morning. Um, just, I guess, a bit of a high-level question on the industry outlook. You know, you've addressed the TAM in the past at somewhere between kind of call it four and a half to $6 billion. And then with the additional demand that, you know, we've seen through the pandemic, and I think you called out that work-from-home demand is still there. Now, do you have an updated view on what the TAM looks like today and, you know, Presumably, it's gotten significantly larger given the top-line growth rate that you're targeting is you know, above kind of historical levels. So just want some color on that. Right. Well, what we said uh, in previous calls is that pre-pandemic, we you know we thought that the market size was about six and a half billion, and you know we think that that market has grown substantially since then. We've done a lot of research, and that's something that we're going to call out in our investor day is really to bring more insight into the size of the market. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, market research, and um, you know which confirmed that, you know, the market has grown substantially. So um, we'll, we'll discuss that on our, uh, in our investor day. Okay, great. And then um, as we look, I guess, in terms of the kind of the fashion basic side, and historically I think the number you quoted in the past was something like a 25% market share. And I guess within the margin guide that you're providing over the next year is on the top line, you know, what role is fashion basics going to play in both the top line and on the margin side? And maybe, you know, any goals you have for market share capture on that side of the business? Well, look, at I mean, there's two, you know, fundamental huge areas of growth. Obviously, one is fashion and the other is fleece, which because our fleece business is growing substantially as we speak. Um, the capacity that we're bringing on in Bangladesh, which is two large state-of-the-art uh, facilities, will be geared and dedicated to 100% making fashion T-shirts. So we have a huge wave of capacity coming on which will be on the low side of the cost curve, basically. So that's our commitment to grow our fashion basics. And then as we look at um, the growth of our fleece production, um, we're reorienting our existing you know, facilities here in Central America to basically take on the demand and capabilities of supporting incremental fleece. So I think we're in a pretty good position to capture the, you know, the two large drivers of what we think is uh, industry demand. Our basics are, you know, our typical basics, I mean, they'll grow at a slow clip, um, but we've got, um, you know, quite a large market share there, so we don't really see um, um, a big growth in the basic category. It's really going to be a function of, uh, you know, our fashion basics and our fleece that will drive the uh, top-line growth over the next three years. 
Okay, and then I guess just on the inventory among the distributors that you noted in the press release being below pre-pandemic levels, you know, do you foresee a bit more of a restocking event or sort of is this, you know, just-in-time type of replenishment something you expect will continue? And what should we expect over the course of 22? Well, we think that for definitely for the, you know, short foreseeable future, I mean, inventories are going to remain tight. Um, you know, so that's, that's a fact. I mean, like what I said is that although we've got more inventory, what we call the channel, but that a lot of that inventory is not actually physically in our distributors' uh, four walls right now. So their four-wall inventory is probably half of what it was uh, in 19. Um, so, you know, it's, inventory is relatively tight. Um, you know, there will be some probably ultimately catch-up to, to, just because we think that, A, number one, the market's growing, um, and inventories are relatively low. Um, which, you know, has affected service a little bit, but, I mean, the point is, is that it's, it's almost a good problem, but uh, we will, there'll definitely be a small catch-up towards the end of the year, probably. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jim Duffy with Stiefel. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. This is Peter McGoldrick on for Jim. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I was curious on the Frontier Yarns acquisition uh, could you help us better understand the income statement influence uh, across line items and how this contributes to the new multi-year outlook? So if you look at Frontier Yarns uh, and the uh, the acquisitions, uh, Glenn said we're very pleased about it. It really drives our, our capability on a go-forward basis uh, from a yarn perspective. Uh, effectively, it just gets rolled into our uh, into our asset base, right? It's, uh, it's, it's manufacturing um, assets that uh, effectively show on our balance sheet. Uh, we pick up some inventory. Actually, there was an inventory question earlier in the in the call, and uh, you'll see some of the the increases reflected uh, is related. Sorry to, uh, to to Frontier. And then as we go forward, uh, effectively, we still have some third party um, sales that uh, effect will come from Frontier through the first half of the year. But generally, that'll be reflected in our cost of goods. It's not going to go into our uh, into our revenue line. So, you know, I would say Frontier. We really have to think about uh, from a Frontier perspective is its, our, its ability uh, to provide us with the, the yarn, to provide us with the ability to support our textile facilities, and ultimately, we're you, we're taking Frontier to drive volume, and also we are improving Frontier to reduce cost as we go forward, so that we can drive that volume but also maintain uh, the margin profile that we want. So, and, and, also, and also to support, you know, the growth in like our fleece category, for example, I mean, the technology that we use that they have a large footprint in, that, which is, you know, MVS, which makes uh, low-pill, no-pill fleece, which is not readily available. So we're expanding that. Um, you know, we're doing what we can. So it, and it's also going to help us to integrate our others, other facilities as well because, you know, now we operate nine large textile plants. Uh, we consume almost half of the domestic cotton in the United States um, and allow us to basically um, leverage our existing facilities by streamlining them even further and leveraging our back to basics. So if we had three SKUs of yarn in the plant, well, we probably got one SKU because we'll just move some of the SKUs to their plant. So overall, and also there's room for a little bit of investment in some of the things that they were doing in terms of automation. Like, But overall, look at the, their plants will, will, equal, will yield um, very good returns to us. Um, it will help us to grow our top line, basically, and support uh, everything that we need to, uh, to continue growing and hit our objectives over the next three years. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, and then uh, just switching to a more near-term oriented, uh, I was curious on the uh, gross margin outlook within the context of the cost increases rolling through and price positioning, um, how this progresses directionally, and then uh, how does that fit in within the new multi-year outlook for, for 18 to 20 percent, given your achievement of 30 percent gross margin in 2021? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the gross margin as we go forward, as we look at where we were and, uh, you know, what the, the, the various impacts are, I mean, what we're really uh, running the business on is our operating margin, right? I think that's the, maybe the first place to start. And uh, we've been very clear about what we can deliver uh, with respect to the 18 to 20. I think uh, when you look at that uh, 18 to 20, then you look at gross margin and you look at SG&A, our SG&A performance has been very good. Uh, and you can see that now we're running down the sort of 10, 10 and a half percent levels. And then you obviously you back up from there to, to you know, what we expect from a gross margin perspective. So, you know, there will be some pressure on gross margin as we uh, as we move through the year. If we look at effectively what's happening with raw materials, what's happening with inflation. If you look at the amount of price that, uh, that we're taking, I mean, if you look in 2022, for example, the amount of price that uh, is unfolding for us probably in the sort of mid to single digit range, uh, or sorry, high single digit range. And we are seeing inflation and um, uh, cotton prices coming through that effectively uh, are, are you know, reasonably significant. So, you know, I, I would say you would expect some gross margin pressure as we move forward. Uh, from that high level that we finished at in uh, in tw uh, 2021, um, and so you will see some pressure as we move through the year, but then that'll be offset with some SG&A leverage. And again, I think we feel very confident about our ability to deliver uh, margins inside the the 18 to 20 percent range we've given you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Patricia Baker with Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Oh, thank you, and good morning. Most of my questions have been asked and answered, but just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what uh, you're seeing in, in, in retail uh, in Q4 and, and maybe going forward. Well, retail is, um, you know, continuing to be strong. Um, you know, there's been a little bit of, uh, you know, I would say slowdown from stimulus checks. I mean, it may probably be the only thing I would say is in retail where, you know, it was very robust, people were spending money, uh, but, you know, you saw Walmart's earnings report. I mean, they did very well. I mean, so mm -hmm. overall, retail is continuing to uh, to do well. Okay. And then just on the softness um, in international, and, you know, I fully understand that Omicron had an impact there. Just curious, but before the onset of Omicron, were you starting to see any slight improvements in that market, or was it, was it you know, pretty much where it had been in Q3 and Q2? Well, the it was growing at a rate of, you know, double digits basically every year up until COVID, right? So that's the start there. And then once COVID hit, it basically it was similar to the U.S. And then it really never recovered. So it's, you know, down, you know, 25, you know, percent, depending on which market it is, relative to, you know, 19 levels still. Um, probably China being a little bit worse um, because of, you know, more stricter um, lockdown than Europe. Um, but both of them down. Yeah, if you look at the numbers, uh, Patricia, they, you know, as Glenn said, I mean, it has been down pretty significantly. 
There was a little bit of improvement in Q3, but not much. It's, it was still down pretty heavily. And uh, effectively then when the Q4 came along and the Omicron, we saw sort of a reversion back to where it had been. So it really, there has been a big diversion, it's very divergent, I would say, between what we're seeing in the U.S. and we're seeing internationally. The U.S. has been, you know, obviously has recovered progressively strong, getting stronger, and uh, international, really, we just haven't seen that uh, that uptick yet. So just looking at your three-year three, three year plan, have you assumed that sometime in that three-year three, three year period, uh, international gets back to where it was, or do you think it's a, a kind of a permanent, permanent lower base? No, we think it's going to come back. But look, you've got to remember, international is still a low base to start with, right? So, you know, it's not... Mm-hmm as relevant, um, and um, so we're, we think it's going to come back, and, you know, the, the fundamentals of our core business in international markets is really revolves around travel, tourism, you know, I think is is, is pretty much uh, what drives a lot of those markets. Um, so when that happens, I think the markets will 100% bounce back. Um, you know, we think, it, you know, shorter term in the U.S. right now, I think we have, uh, obviously, we're very uh, bullish about the outlook for, um, the North American market, because it's not only, um, you know, what we're relying on, the consumer spending and consumer demand side of it, but it's also the onshoring and uh, people, you know, trying to get closer to the market and just in time, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, which is, you know, related around our retail customers and as well as our GLB customers. So I think we're in relatively good shape, um, but I think Europe will come back um, eventually as, uh, as, as the Omicron uh, society. Excellent. Thank you for that. Our next question comes from Chris Lee with Desjardins. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Um, Glenn, I was wondering if you can share with us um, roughly what percentage of your active wear sales are fleas and fashion basics, and what does that uh, mean in terms of your market share in the expanded uh, TAM? I don't think we really give that information out, Chris, um, but I would say that, look, at fleece and fashion basics are the two fastest-growing categories. I mean, um, obviously, basics are, we have, you know, we've always had a, a large share of basics, so it's not growing at the, um, at the same clip because, uh, you know, we had, a, I think, at one time, an 85% share of the basic category. So, um, but, you know, our fashion basic and our fleece are both uh, big growth drivers. Um, and in fleece, there's, there's not a lot of competition, right? I mean, uh, you need to be vertically integrated uh, manufacturer and probably have a pretty good capital structure to be able to support fleece. So there's really nobody in our industry that really has uh, the capabilities of, of substantially growing it like we are. So I think we're in a good position. We're cap- capitalizing on a, lar- a large portion of the market growth, and um, we see a big, a big growth in front of us. Okay, no, that, that's helpful. And then my other question is, in the past, you mentioned that if the distributor inventory were to recover back to pre-pandemic level, that would translate, I think, to roughly 150 to 100 million of incremental revenue. Is that still an, um, a fair assessment? Well, that, that will happen, um, I think, eventually over time. I mean, for two reasons. One is that, um, you know, inventories are so low today that they have to uh, continue to um, replenish them and bring product back into their channels. But the second thing is I think the market's growing. So you need more units to support a growth of the market. So for both of those reasons, I would say 100% that inventory eventually will come back into the market. Um, the question is when. I mean, it, you know, I don't think it will be fully happened in, in this year. I mean, but maybe next year that could be something that could happen. Okay, great. Uh, thanks, and good luck. 
Thank you. There are no further questions. I'd like to turn the call back over to Sophie Argerio for closing remarks. Thank you, Michelle. Once again, we would like to thank you for your participation today, and we look forward to speaking to you soon. I would also like to remind you that, as, as Rod mentioned, we will be holding our virtual Investor Day on Tuesday, March 29th, and in the coming days, we'll be issuing a press release to provide you with the details for the registration of the event. So once again, thank you, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. This concludes the program. You may now disconnect. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.